Thank you, everyone, for joining us. This is another episode of GBA's Trade Policy Podcast. I'm joined today by Brian Pumper from Make and Go. Brian, thanks for being on. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Yeah, great. So a lot going on in the trade world, as per usual, and I want to start off with some of the big news since our last call two weeks ago, which is that Catherine Tai has been named as the uh, new USTR for uh, the incoming uh, Biden administration. Brian, I'd like to get your thoughts on Catherine. I know we've all worked with her uh, before. She's spoken at GBA events and has um, done great work at Ways and Means. So what do you think? Uh, well, I, I'm a great fan of, of Catherine's. I think she is absolutely the right person at this time. Uh, through a combination of background and personal history, I, I just I can't imagine a better choice. So why do I say that? Well, I, you know, when she was rumored to be the USTR pick, there were people who said, well, probably not. Maybe he's a deputy because she's a staffer and it's unusual for staffers to be elevated to cabinet level positions quite so quickly. But I really did think that she was a very good pick and it didn't surprise me that, that she ultimately got it because of a couple reasons. The first is she uh, has all that experience with respect to China, right? She, she led the USTR China enforcement efforts uh, for a few years while she was at USTR. She is, a, a, of course, of Chinese descent. Uh, she's a Mandarin speaker. China is a, obviously going to be a very important issue in the trade sphere, not just for the Biden administration, but going forward. Mm -hmm. uh, she also was the lead architect of the negotiations for the USMCA for the Democrats and the trade working group that they had created. She really led those negotiations at the staff level. And I think more than anything, that was what really propelled her to be considered in this light. There are members of the Democratic caucus, Sherrod Brown most prominently, who look at the changes that were made in the USMCA for the trade model uh, from his side, his perspective that uh, really put into place uh, democratic-friendly policies, a, a real improvement from his perspective in terms of the labor rights, environmental rights, other things, sure. that he looks and he says, you know, boy, I really want USMCA to be the model of trade agreements going forward. And if I want that to be the case, I really want to have somebody at USTR who understands the substantive and political intricacies of that deal. And in that regard, who better than Catherine Tai? It does not hurt also that um, uh, the president-elect is trying to put together the most diverse cabinet in history. And uh, he had already appointed a, a few African-Americans to cabinet posts. He had appointed a few uh, Latinos to cabinet posts, but there were no Asian-Americans. And that was noticed by the Asian-American community and they, they were quite vocal about it. Sure. And so if you put all of those things together, you know, being an Asian American, having the China enforcement experience, speaking Chinese, understanding USMCA, having been the architect of that deal, wow. she was really the right person to, to be wow. chosen at this time. Right. That sounds great. And I know from GBA's perspective, we're very happy that we're going to have somebody who uh, we have a previous relationship with and, and we're excited to continue working with her in this new uh, larger capacity. So that's fantastic. You know, you mentioned a lot of her background with China, obviously a lot of focus on uh, China policy and that bleeds over into uh, various areas, supply chain policy and tariffs and so forth. Wanted to get your take on the latest on, on China news. Obviously, we're looking at certain th Section 301 tariff exclusions that are expiring at the end of December. I uh, would love to hear what might be happening there, as well as um, there, there's open questions about um, who commerce might be putting on the, the military end user list and, and also, um, you know, 
other uh, additions to the entity list as well. And that's all kind of China focused. So where do you think um, those things stand? Yeah, I, I do expect uh, more announcements to come out, but I can't tell you when and I can't tell you what they're going to be. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're right, everybody's focused on that. On the 301 tariffs, uh, many of the e exclusions, extensions, and so recall that you had the tariffs, people applied for and got exclusions. Those prior exclusions expired. People applied for, because they were only good for a year, people mm -hmm. applied for extensions of those ex of some subset of those original exclusions. Many of those are now going to expire at the end of this year. Some other subset expires early part of next year, but I think the bulk expires the end of this year. And so the question has been, is the Trump administration just going to allow those to expire? Uh, I'd originally thought that, yes, that's likely going what they're going to do because their perspective has always been, look, you had two years to move your supply chains out of China. And if you didn't do so, sorry, you know, now you got to pay the piper. I will say there have been a variety of suggestions to the Trump administration. Uh, there have been specific requests for exclusion extensions on the part of individual companies making the case for why they need more time or why they need this exclusion uh, really permanently because of their unique circumstances. There has also been suggestions, well, you know, really what we need to do is we need to, to just take the exclusions that are currently operative and just extend them for some period until the Biden administration can figure out what it wants to do right. on its policy in 301. And there, there are uh, at least one bill that I know of that's been introduced in the Congress in that regard. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I, I, and what surprises me about the, the, the prior situation where I said there are individual companies who are asking USTR for extensions, I assumed USTR would dismiss those out of hand, but they're not. Mm -hmm. They really are considering even this USTR that has taken a pretty hard line on on China exclusions right. is thinking to itself, gosh, maybe there are some exclusions we should extend. And they, they've been, I think, quiet so far. So I have some cautious optimism as to what may happen with the existing exclusions uh, for the China 301 tariffs. <laughs> but keep in mind, too, the, the Biden Biden himself has been pretty clear that he's not going to lift those tariffs anytime soon. Right. Uh, he's he's going to be cautious about doing that, but could he extend the exclusions if, let's say, they all expired in this year? Could he revive them? Sure, he could do that administratively, drop of a hat, an executive order. Could he uh, institute a new exclusion process? You know, maybe a yearly thing uh, mm -hmm. where people can sort of every year, kind of like the, you know, the special three hundred one process, that sort of thing. He could do that. Uh, so I, I don't know what to expect in the Biden administration, and candidly, I don't think the Biden folks know what they're going to do on this, but mm -hmm. clearly they're going to continually be asked about it. The last thing I'll say is, uh, for those who are advocating for the, the Biden administration to revive the exclusions or continue the exclusions, there's benefit for the Biden administration, too, because then they won't have all these thousands of companies who need these exclusions constantly knocking on their door saying, give me an exclusion, or they won't have to deal with the process. You know, they can just mm -hmm. give a blanket extension. If the Trump administration thought it was important that these companies get exclusions, not once, but twice, that's good enough for us. Right, right. <laughs> Certainly something to be said for uh, ease of administration. Sticking in the world of Section 301, I want to talk about the French digital service taxes and retaliatory tariffs that are coming online, uh, currently set for January 6th. I know there's been some concern that that date could move up. It seems like they're running out of time to move up that date if they uh, were going to choose to do so. But wanted to get your take on that and if it could slip or, or any other news or intel around um, those tariffs that you have. 
Sure. So, of course, it's not just France, right? There are a whole ton of investigations, 301 investigations that are ongoing right now mm-hmm. into a variety of countries on their digital services taxes. And, and I would break them into two different buckets. You've got the countries that are presently imposing digital services taxes, and then there are countries that are considering it or are about to. Um, France, of course, is the United States, the Trump administration chose France as an example. And so mm-hmm. it's the first 301 investigation it's gone through. And where that stands right now, as you noted, is that we are on autopilot. If nothing happens, new tariffs go into effect on January 6th. Um, but as you noted, <clears throat> there has been discussion about accelerating those tariffs and saying, well, let's just let's put them on earlier than January 6th. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because the French have said pretty clearly, even though we've had this um, pause, the United States and Trump, administra- Trump administration in France agreed that we would kind of have a truce for a certain period. That was going to expire at the end of this year. Yep. That's why the Trump administration said, okay, well, January 6th, if we haven't resolved this at the OECD, we're going to put these tariffs on. France has jumped the gun a little bit in the sense that it has now started issuing invoices to companies mm-hmm. saying, mm-hmm. here's what you owe us for the digital services tax. That has really angered people in the Trump administration. And so that's what I think has led to this idea, man, let's put these tariffs on sooner. That still could happen. But to your point, I mean, January 6th is three weeks from now. So what... Right. What good? And the USTR has got a lot it's doing right now, a mm-hmm. lot on its plate. And it still could happen, but who knows? Okay. You also have, as I mentioned, those two buckets. I would say the, the countries that have not yet imposed digital services taxes are in a little bit of a slower boat. Mm-hmm. The ones that are presently uh, putting on digital services taxes, I think those have been the priority to finish those investigations. And of those, I think the countries that are front of the line for seeing uh, an announcement on tariffs. And for all I know, as I've been sitting here talking to you, there could be in my inbox an email that there are now tariffs on these countries because it is that imminent, would be India and Italy. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are others, Austria, Turkey, those countries also impose digital services taxes, but I keep hearing India and, and Italy as the two countries that are most likely to be hit first. Okay, very good. Yeah, we've, we've been playing, <clears throat> excuse me, we've, we've been playing off the list of, of investigations that are coming through and trying to guess kind of what order they'd be coming down. So it's always great to hear um, kind of who's next on the hit list, frankly. Um, okay. Great. And I also wanted to get your take, switching gears a little bit, but there's some other news out of the administration, which, as you mentioned, is still very busy and and still has a lot going on. But this coming out of Treasury as opposed to USTR, uh, there's been a finding of of both Vietnam and Switzerland as currency manipulators. Now, Vietnam is already um, a focus of a Section 301 investigation, been labeled a currency manipulator. I think this is new for Switzerland, which doesn't have a Section 301 investigation tied to it. But I wanted to get your take on this update as well and what it might mean for um, trade policy with these countries. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Switzerland was a bit of a curveball, I, I mm-hmm. would say. And candidly, it was a curveball that we saw this currency report anyway. Uh, folks may know that uh, under the Omnibus Trade and Competitiveness Act of 1988, Treasury is obligated twice a year on April 15th and October 15th to issue a currency report. And it's to report on what countries are doing with their currency and to, to highlight countries that may be manipulating their, their currencies. Uh, I don't think the Trump administration has issued, well, it certainly has not issued a report on schedule. 
Right. I think the last report was in January of this year, and that report was should have been issued the prior year. Uh, so to have a report issued, you know, kind of like snap like this, uh, struck me that there had to be a reason for that. And I think the reason is, as I understand it, twofold. The first is that the president is uh, upset that his administration hasn't taken action on currency manipulation yet. Mm -hmm. And so there was a desire to show that, you know, by God, it's a problem. He said it's a problem and we're going to do something about it. And the second was to be the predicate to uh, impose tariffs on Vietnam. There have been all kinds of rumors this week, and it really came out of nowhere, honestly. I mean, we started hearing about potential Vietnam tariffs, and then the next thing I know, the currency report came out the next day. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, now there's rumors that we're going to uh, end up with, with tariffs tomorrow. I, I don't think we're going to get tariffs tomorrow. I think there were supposed to be uh, consultations between USTR and Vietnam this week. That didn't happen. Those consultations are now next week. I think that pushes the, uh, the, the kind of the legal timeline here uh, uh, beyond what we had originally thought. Right. Uh, but nevertheless... Uh, <laughs> I, I do think that, that tariffs are coming on Vietnam. Uh, I, I do think also that USTR wants to cross its T's and dot its I's legally. It has had some losses on um, uh, some of the legal maneuvers they've made because of violations of the Administration Administrative Procedures Act. Mm -hmm. Of course, the Section 301 tariffs are currently being challenged at the Court of International Trade also on kind of a statutory procedural ground. Mm -hmm. So I think USTR wants to be careful and make sure that they're not subjecting what they do with respect to Vietnam to legal jeopardy unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you look at the what the currency report says, uh, I think that you'll get uh, kind of a hint or an indication of where the administration is likely to head and why they were motivated to do this. I already said the president wanted to do something on, on currency, currency manipulation. Mm -hmm. But if you read that Treasury report, what it says mostly about Vietnam, and I really mm -hmm. want to focus on Vietnam, right. it, it talks about two things. It talks about the, uh, the increase, the, I think, 25% increase in the trade deficit with Vietnam over the last year. I think it's our fifth largest trade deficit now with any country at $58 billion. And it talks about transshipment. What does that mean? This is really about, let me, let me cut it down for you so you can see. I'll break it down, make it very clear. <laughs> what this is about is about supply chains moving from China to mm -hmm. Vietnam because of the 301 tariffs and transshipment from China. So really Chinese goods being transshipped through Vietnam uh, and being labeled as Vietnamese goods, even though they're really Chinese goods, to try to get out from underneath those 301 tariffs. Right. The administration does not like that at all, either of those. And so they're saying we're going to go after Vietnam as a result. What we had been hearing was 25% tariffs economy-wide because a currency undervaluation acts as an economy-wide subsidy and so therefore needs to be countervailed economy-wide. Mm -hmm. So what would that be? That would be 25% tariffs on every product coming in from Vietnam. I mean, that is, that's a lot. Yep. I, I don't know if that's really what's ultimately going to happen. Uh, but like I said, it's a little bit on a slower boat than we had feared originally. So I don't expect there to be any announcement of tariffs tomorrow. Mm -hmm. 
But similarly to how the Biden administration is not likely to revisit the Section 301 Chinese tariffs, because this Vietnam issue is tied up with China and supply chains coming through China, you expect that the new administration to keep its focus here? Yeah. Uh, what, are you asking me if the Trump administration imposes these tariffs, will Biden leave them yeah, on? Yeah, will Biden leave them yeah. on, yes. And, and so I often say that it is one thing to uh, talk about whether Biden would actually take a particular action, and quite another to say, will Biden reverse something the Trump administration has done? Mm -hmm. And I say that because the latter is often much politically harder, yes. much more politically difficult. And so mm -hmm. if the tariffs are put on and they are due to, say, by the way, illegal logging, that's another part of the Vietnam case right. that we have talked about, but if it's because of environmental degradation and currency manipulation, boy, those are that would be hard for Biden to, to walk away from. He'd need some pretty strong concessions on the part of the Vietnamese, I think, to, to take down those tariffs anytime soon. And I right. can't believe my guess is on trade, uh, with the exception maybe of the 232 tariffs, I, I don't think that Biden is going to be in a real rush to, to change much in terms of where these tariffs are. I think it's going to take his time. Right. That's That's been our read as well. Thank you for that. So, uh, Hopping back to Europe, uh, moving around the globe a little bit, but wanted to get the latest on the Boeing Airbus dispute. Any negotiations might be going on there. Obviously, there, there's been this feeling that now that the tariffs are, uh, amounts are all out there and all the cards are on the table, that some sort of deal should be doable either in the waning days of the Trump administration or under the new Biden administration. And then um, from there, obviously, that uh, there, there's a, a piece of this that also goes into the U.S.-U.K. trade negotiations and, and the fact that the U.K. has decided not to... Um, try to impose its own tariffs in relation to the Boeing subsidies. So um, what's the latest? Yeah, uh, you're right. One, Many of us who have been watching this dispute really hoped that when the cards were dealt, when we knew not just what the U.S. was able to retaliate, but what the EU was able to retaliate, that would kind of set the table and you could really have negotiations at that point with everybody understanding the relative strengths and weaknesses. And actually, that's really what ended up happening. You really mm -hmm. did see the negotiations really pick up steam and Ambassador Lighthizer embracing the resolution of this now, I think, 15-year-long dispute uh, as a, a, a primary legacy item for him. And it would be. It would be a real right. feather in his cap if he were able to be the USTR who negotiated a resolution to this dispute that has spanned, I don't know how many, three or four different USTRs. Right. Incredible. Uh, I, I am understanding that those negotiations have slowed down. And, and, mm -hmm. and have lost some steam. And uh, this, of course, is a U.S. perspective, but I'm, I'm told it is largely the fault of the Germans and the French being unwilling to give up their understanding of what launch aid really means. So they, mm -hmm. they want to preserve a version of launch aid that has the same types of problems that we challenged in the first place. Uh, again, this is only from a U.S. perspective. Sure. Mm -hmm. This is what I hear. Uh, if that's the case, that's going to be hard to, to settle these out. And so we could be looking at tariffs for, for some time. So, uh, and you asked also about the U.S.-U.K. So the U.K., of course, wants to have a close trading relationship with the United States. We have this ongoing U.S.-U.K. negotiation. I think a few months ago, all sides realized they were just not going to be able to finish this uh, by the end of the Trump administration. Mm -hmm. And so what you're left with is, okay, we've got U.S.-U.K., uh, and it, now it's going to be brought into a Biden administration. And the question is, what is President Biden going to do with it? Um, 
I will say it's been hard, and this is nothing against USTR at all. It's really, it would have been impossible for this USTR to conclude the US-UK negotiations without understanding what the trading relationship between the UK and Europe would be. Uh, and so not having any final arrangement between the UK and Europe, it's impossible really to, to get to the nitty gritty on some of the more structural elements of what our various regulatory regimes are going to look like. That's really what the US-UK deal is about too. And actually what also the EU stuff is about is regulatory issues. We're trying to pull the UK closer to our regulatory model. The EU is trying to pull the UK or keep the UK closer to their regulatory model. Gotcha. Without knowing basically how the EU is going to, what regulations the UK is going to agree that it needs to recognize with respect to the EU, it's hard for us to figure that out too. It, the negotiations are kind of like interfering with one another. So they're not going to finish it. And the question is, what is Biden going to do about it? Now, he's been pretty clear that he's not going to negotiate new trade agreements, mm-hmm. at least not initially. This isn't exactly a new trade agreement. Mm-hmm. Having said all of that, I haven't heard Biden say much about US-UK at all. The only thing I heard, and you know, maybe for those who are positive on US-UK, you can take this as, as a positive implication, but he said that uh, if the UK were to upset the Good Friday Accords by screwing up that border with Northern Ireland, right. there's no way they'll get the trade agreement. And I guess you could say by negative implication, the fact that he said, if you do this, you're not going to get it, you know, maybe there's a, a universe in which this is possible in a Biden administration. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, TPA expires uh, really July 1st of next year. Right. It's got to have a deal by really around April 1st, April 2nd, in order to meet the timelines that are in TPA. Highly unlikely they're going to meet that time. Mm-hmm. And then the question becomes, well, would the Biden administration seek an extension of TPA just for the U.S.-U.K. deal? The answer is they could, and my guess is they probably get one. So it's not a done deal. It's not dead by any stretch, but I do think it's going to be a longer-term project. Yeah, well, thanks. That's great insight, and I I, I do wonder if they could get it, uh, frankly. I mean, there, there's a lot of appetite on the Hill for changes to TPA authority. and um, There's, there's no question. Could, but, you know, if you were just looking at a straight-line extension for a certain period of time to finish these negotiations, for the U.S.-U.K., you know, another developed country, a very close ally. Mm-hmm. I could see that passing. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Well, thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. Your your insights are always helpful, and and we certainly appreciate uh, all the work that you've done for us in 2020. And looking forward to having you back in 2021. Our next live call uh, with Q and A and audience participation will be January 6th, and then we will have another episode of this podcast in the weeks following, mid January. So, thank you, everyone, for joining us, and happy holidays. Thanks, Kevin. Had fun.